Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Cookies, like Oreos and stuff, like those are amazing. And they're just really good to like, if you're having a bad day, to sit and have milk and cookies, like a couple of them. Popcorn at the movie theater, the stuff's totally covered with butter. I can always go for like the chip stuff. Yeah, chips are amazing. Well, if you're like most people, most of us during the holidays, you ate a lot more cookies, popcorn, and other junk food than normal. And today on Focus on the Family, we're going to revisit a best of 2021 program that has some great ideas for a fresh start related to food as we begin this new year. Your host is Focus President and Health Advocate Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. (laughs) You slipped that one in. I'm Health Advocate. Wait wait a second here. Hey, a survey found that two of the most common New Year's resolutions are to eat healthier and lose weight. Have you made your... (laughs) I don't make resolutions. (laughs) Okay. I think I've done that a few times, but uh, I don't know that I stuck with it, but we'll talk about that later. That's another problem. You know, they are great goals. Uh, And as Christians, I think it's important to consider that relationship that we have with God. God and what we have with food and what we need to do to commit to become closer to him and maybe not as close to the Oreos. That's the way to go. There's a reminder in the Old Testament that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And that's the goal of our discussion today. Uh, We often focus on marriage and parenting, John, but today it is going to be about food and diet and those things. I'm always uncomfortable, so I'll hand it over to you, John. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, there is a spiritual thread throughout the conversation today. Uh, We have a very popular guest uh, uh, coming back to us today, Wendy Speak, who is an author and speaker and a wife and mom of three boys, and we'll be talking about her great book, The 40-Day Sugar Fast, Where Physical Detox Meets Spiritual Transformation. And we have copies of that book here at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-A-FAMILY. And Jim, we're always happy to have your wife, Jean, with us as well. And here she is. Here she is. And I want to say welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Always a pleasure being here. Now, I want to make sure people understand, Jean, I did not invite you to this broadcast. <laughs> Catherine, our oh, producer. Sure. Oh, I thought you were going to say she invited sure. herself. Catherine, the producer. Catherine, the producer, <laughs> set me up a little bit here. Because Jean will think, what did you say that I needed to come to this <laughs> Right. Program? I need an intervention I for Jean. So yeah. I just want every everybody listening that it was not my direction that Jean should join today, but I'm I'm really glad you're here. Well, and Catherine, I'm glad you thought of that as the producer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let's get into it. Uh, you had the revelation, Wendy, one day that you were a bona fide sugar addict. Now, everybody except the drivers, put your hand up if you can yeah. <laughs> identify with the sugar addiction that it compels and grabs this culture. I mean, it's amazing. How did you come to that realization, and what happened when you posted about it online, right. Wendy? Well, great question, and I think it's a great place to start. I love that you said usually that we are here talking about parenting, and today we're talking about really more a health topic. But I have to tell you that when I posted that, my name is Wendy, and I'm a sugar addict, I wrote it to the moms, mm-hmm. and they all responded in mass. Um, Me too. My name is Jenny. My name is Susan. My name is dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. I'm a sugar addict too. And I've been here with you guys before and we've talked about angry reactionary parenting. And it was in a group like that where I said, what would happen if we set down sugar for 40 days? Physiologically, what would happen? Would it make us calmer, kinder, more consistent with our kids, maybe even more Christ-like. But instead of it just being a sugar detox, could it be a spiritual fast? 
And that's where it started. And uh, now we have a resource, the 40-Day Sugar Fast, and that's what we're here talking about, that you can choose any time of the year. You don't have to wait for me leading an online group to fast from sugar in order to feast on Christ, to stop turning to sugar highs to get us through our hard days, but start turning to the most high. Well, that's, I mean, that's a Mm. fair point. But Wendy, uh, you advocate for a complete fast from sugar. Really? Really? Well, I don't know if I would say (laughs) What about that donut? Just one donut? It is a complete fast from sugar, but there are people that have been ingesting sugar as their you know, think about that that pyramid that we all saw in history class. I mean, not in history class, nutrition class, science yes. class, when we were in, what was it, sixth grade, and you've got right. the fruits and vegetables and the meat and cheeses, and then at the very top of the pyramid, you have the, the fats and the sugars, right? Right. And then we flipped our pyramid, and we've got some of us, Boy, really. True. We wake up, and we have a leftover brownie with our highly sugared latte. And then we miss lunch, but we have some leftovers again of the whatever treats our kids had for, um, you know, their snack. And then for dinner, well, we have something sort of healthy, but we put the kids down for the night. And then we have a bowl of ice cream. Just, you know, we need a reward for making it through another hard day. Hey, have and you so been talking it's... to Gene? What are you doing here? That's terrible. You're I getting know. your intel. Now, now, you're not saying sugar is the problem. No. But you're saying it's a very common thing that we can start to use to kind of reset. Yes, it, you know, God never asked us for a sugar sacrifice. He asked us for a living sacrifice. And so I think sugar is one of those things getting in the way of living life for Christ. We're so bound up. Either health sugar is affecting us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, or we're distracted about living our life for Christ because all we can think about is that next thing that we want to get us through. Yeah. Our, our appetite is our God rather than God being our God. Yeah, and I so appreciate it. I mean, I have been reading quite a bit about the impact sugar has on your body. It's really a poison to your body. I don't know why that is. Something that tastes so good ends up being like the worst thing you could ingest, but it's true. And uh, the component about that emotional eating, and Gene, I'm going to come to you in just a second because I want your perspective on that. But uh, Wendy, how did that start for you, that emotional connection to sweets? Oh, well, I think it started way back when I was a kiddo, and I would get my $2 allowance on a Friday, and I'd hop on my little pink bicycle with a you know wicker basket in the front, and I'd, I'd ride to my friend Carrie's house and pick her up, and, and she'd hop on her scooter, and we'd go down to the corner liquor store, and we'd go in, and you know how some of those doors, they ring like a bell announces when someone, <laughs> I, like, I can hear it in my memory so clearly, and I'd go, and I'd I'd grab all the candies, all the gobstoppers and the now and laters and the lemon drops. I mean, all of it at whatever $2 could buy. And we'd go back to Carrie's house and we'd just binge, right? <laughs> and, um, and I was also a, um, a latchkey kid. My parents divorced when I was very young. And I would come home as I was growing up to an empty house. And I was very well loved. I'm not blaming my parents' divorce. I'm just telling a story. Yeah. And... Uh, my mom sometimes had in the back of the fridge one of those Betty Crocker um, vanilla icing oh, tubs, yes. you know. And she'd sometimes for a dessert spread it on a graham cracker or something like that. Well, I would eat it straight out of the can when I was by myself. Mm-hmm. I would just find whatever was there and I would eat it. Mm-hmm. And it filled the emptiness. Even before I knew there was sadness, it just filled mm-hmm. the space and I felt happy. And you must know there's a dopamine release, right, when we have some right? sugar. And we're adults, and we see how it affects our kids. But is it possible, moms and dads, that it's affecting us negatively as well? 
Yeah, that dopamine, that points to addiction. Gene, uh, yes. how are you relating to this when it comes to the emotional connection to eating? Oh, I definitely relate to this. And I can think of an example when our boys were younger and Jim was traveling. Yes. I would put them to bed, mm-hmm. grab some chocolate, and sit down in front of the computer and do email. And this was happening so consistently, I finally recognized this was an unhealthy pattern, you know, and really started asking myself, why? Why am I doing this? And why do I need the chocolate every time? And was able to process it and find some healthier alternatives to that, which is, I mean, that's what your book addresses. That's exactly what your book is talking about. We're not looking for alternatives that are healthy food options. We're talking about crowding out the sugar by ingesting, consuming, gobbling up more of enjoying God's presence in our lives, turning to his sweet and satisfying word. And um, it's just been so cool because a diet, it'll change your body. It'll change your eating. It'll change your health. It'll even change some of your behaviors and your emotions. But a fast will change your whole life. And it's really Mm -hmm. powerful. When you diet, you say, I'm going to crowd out that sugar with more healthy food options. But when you fast, you say, I'm going to crowd out what I'm running to, what I'm turning to Mm -hmm. by turning to Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wendy, explain in the book, you use the analogy of a candy cane and how that connects to sweets Mm -hmm. and a dependence in the wrong direction. I think you're getting there right now. But what was the candy cane analogy? Candy canes. Who doesn't love candy cane? We just made it through Christmas. I love candy canes. Um, and I actually I know, don't like them that much. Okay, but I know a lot of people that love the candy cane creamer for their coffee. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay, now yes. we're... That we're, sounds yes. like pure sugar. That's just yes. pure sugar. Liquid sugar to sweeten your coffee. Um, so now that we broadened the, yes. you know temptation of the candy cane you know candy cane we a lot of us will teach it to our children you know it's shaped like a a shepherd's staff right Mm -hmm. it's also shaped like a a cane and if you lean on the cane of sugar to get you through your days it's not going to be able to sustain you but god invites us he says you come to me when you're heavy uh, laden. That's right. Mm-hmm. You lean on me and I will get you through. I will give you rest. I will get you across the finish line, not only into the eternal glory, but through your days. He also said, come to me, cast your cares and your anxiety upon me and I'll get you through. And when we turn to something else to get us through our days, it just doesn't work. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. I'm here asking people how they could both give and get. I don't know, maybe love? Yeah, you could both give and get love. True, but it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to FocusPlannedGiving.com. 
That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me ask both of you, I'll start with you, Wendy, but in our society, you know, it's very accepted, even encouraged for women to become obsessed with healthy eating and weight loss. And of course, if anything's taken to an extreme, it becomes unhealthy, even healthiness. Yes. And uh, I really want to uh, touch on that. Jean, you, you had kind of that experience in college where eating correctly and it kind of became the thing for you. Describe what happened. Oh, absolutely. Uh, There was a time during college where I was at least borderline anorexic. And then a little after that, struggled for a short time with bulimia. And two things that really stand out to me even today about that was one, how affirming society is to our rail thin bodies. Yes. I mean, it is. What did you, that sound like? What did people say? Oh, you know, have you lost weight? You look so great. You look <laughs> great. And I, I knew it. I, I, at that time, I was younger. I, I knew I looked good. And that's very affirming. But also, the, what's really frightening is the amount of control I felt and how powerful that was. Yes. I mean, that's a bizarre and frightening aspect of it, that I could control my body so much that I could control even hunger. Yes. And uh, and that's so unhealthy. No, that's... But when life feels out of control yes. and you need to f- experience some control, it's a very, very typical um, struggle for women especially, but even for young men in this generation. Yes. I'm seeing that anorexia is a response to feeling out of control and the need to be in control. Right. Yeah. And even though I would say for at least a decade after that, even though my body was getting healthier, that I realized whether I was rail thin or or healthy looking, I was still obsessing mm-hmm. about food. Yes. What I was eating, what I was going to eat, what I wasn't eating, and coming to the realization that is not God's best for us to be obsessing and worried about what we look like, yeah. what it we're eating. It took me a few years of leading this online 40-day sugar fast to stop feeling stressed about this one thing. I never talk about food. During the 40 days, we don't talk about Ooh. food. I don't give them a to-do or to-don't list. I don't tell them what to eat, what not to eat. We don't go from a food fixation, a sugar fixation, to a sugar-free fixation. We fix our eyes on Christ because he's the only one that's going to fix things. And so that really is what is the difference between a diet and a fast, Mm. is we are fixing Mm -hmm. our eyes on him and not healthy eating Mm. habits. I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, Wendy, Jim mentioned uh, about this obsession with healthy and I had a daughter who, for a season, was she was fixated on healthy, mm-hmm. and the doctor finally said, you're going to have to hit a program because you are really underweight. And she was startled because she's like, but I'm healthy. I'm eating well. Right. And in fact, she just starved her mind yes. and was making bad decisions. How do we avoid that? 
uh, with regard to any food, uh, sugar or otherwise. You know, I feel like we're doing a little role reversal here, John, because I would love to take a moment to pitch (laughs) calling in right now if you have a loved one that you can tell that they are struggling with an eating disorder. Um, Or if you yourself know that you're struggling with an eating disorder and you need some wise biblical counsel, take a moment. John's going to drop all the info here. This is what we pay him for. And he's going to tell you what that number is later. Um, However, I actually just had a conversation with a friend of mine who has been on the admin team. And she said, Wendy, um, my daughter is... Uh, has been diagnosed with anorexia, and um, she's back home with us as she's getting healthy. I don't know if I'll be able to do the sugar fast this year, meaning lead it with me. And I said, I actually suggest that you don't because people who have struggled with taking things in a very strong way out Mm -hmm. of their diet for Mm -hmm. a season to practice control. Yeah might not need that example yeah. in front of, even if you're doing it for the right reasons. So, you know, there's a lot of psychology. It, it was a really interesting season for us, and I did not know that there's an orthorexia, mm. uh, this obsession with being super healthy that, that can yes. become quite dangerous. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to that snacking and feasting on God's word. You've mentioned this a couple times now, but I want to, you know, really put an emphasis, I guess, on it. Um, when you have that craving you're suggesting turn to God, maybe read his word. Um, I want to be really clear so people that are hearing that as a behavioral pattern, that when I want to sit down like Gene was doing, Mm -hmm. put the boys to bed, Jim's on the road, I can do my emails. Oh, but you know, having that chocolate with doing the emails is kind of a treat and it's a reward. I've worked hard today. I mean, you go through all that justification. Take that example. I mean, what's a Christ-centered way to meet that craving. I think once you recognize that you're turning to sugar for comfort or reward or companionship or to heal a you know a decades-old wound, I feel neglected today. I don't feel affirmed today. I feel ugly today, and so I'm going to make myself feel good and ugly at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's really a deep, deep hurting place that a lot of people eat from. But when you start recognizing it and you start saying, Lord, in those moments, I want to turn to you, then I've heard people say that during times of fasting, their hunger pangs become like church bells calling them to prayer. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I say to people when we're fasting, you know, this isn't just taking out sugar and replacing it with healthy food. Let yourself get hungry. Because food issues really is a hunger problem, but it's not a hunger like I'm hungry and I'm eating the wrong thing. It's we have misplaced hunger. We're turning to food to meet our deepest needs, whether it's companionship with a husband traveling or loneliness or heartbreak. So let us turn to him with all of those emotions. What are your triggers for why you're turning to food? Uh, You can answer that better than I can. And when you recognize those times, uh, oftentimes my biggest triggers are happiness. Oh, my kids are all home. Oh, we it's someone's birthday. Oh, we did well. Oh, you know, it's... Let's bake a cake. Let's bake a right. cake. I want to love on you. Let's make mm. cookies. And, and we celebrate with sugar. Okay, how can I do that in a way that will help us to remain physically, emotionally, even relationally healthy? And let's make some different changes. And during the sugar fast is a great time to pinpoint, huh, 
why am I having feeling that strong urge to turn to that age old thing that I've always turned to since yeah. I was, you know, seven years right. old on my little pink bike? What am I metaphorically running to sugar mm-hmm. for right now, peddling to sugar for? And then making some different habits. I, I In the sugar fast, there's a story I tell where one day I put my Bible on my cake platter. Oh, this is I where I wanted that. to go. Oh, I, yeah, I, I was going to ask you this. about this. And it's a reminder for me there that I don't need to turn to food as much as I need to turn to my sweet Savior. Hmm. And for the moms hmm. listening, because I know that's really the lion's share of this audience, what I found is that sugar doesn't make me sweet, mm. but Christ does. Ooh, that's good. And so good. what am I going to do? If I really say, I want to stop yelling at my kids. I want to stop acting emotionally when they act emotionally. I want to stop melting down when they melt down. Okay, well, what are some practical things you can do? And really, one of those practical things is more time in God's Word, less time in your pantry. You have you have said these things a few times because yeah. it's rolling off your tongue. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You're talking about those crutches, those things that you lean into sugar for. I'm sitting here going, maybe I'm missing the mark. I just like the way it tastes. I know. I mean, there's nothing. I'm not seeing anything underlying the fact that yes. a Snickers bar is pretty good. Yes. But, I mean, am I missing it? Is No, it... I think you're also a man. And, uh, <laughs> I, so, and I'm not making a comment about men miss things. I'm talking about I think that men turn to food for a couple of reasons. One, it's just a fun part of their day. Yeah. Right? It's, oh, I love a good meal. But also there is that dopamine release. And it do, you do feel good at the end of a day. I know that my husband tends to, when he's struggling with work or relationships, he'll even say to me, I just need a win. No, that's interesting. Uh, and sometimes that means that he's yeah. in his... Um, garage working on a car that to him is a win or buying a car for goodness well, sakes getting right. sugar because you couldn't get right. the nut in the screw I got yeah. the bolt on there right but, right and uh, he'll come in and just start looking for for something to eat and yeah. I'm like you're just looking for a win so aware or unaware yeah. it's part of us mm. no I like that uh, Wendy as we're wrapping up here um, speak to that person who maybe has tried to connect with God around this area but you know struggles to feel like god's even listening it's not connecting for them for whatever reason Uh, what would you say to that person that feels that distance they'd love to turn to christ but they're not getting that dopamine hit let's just put it that way there's something missing there and they're continually beating themselves up because they're going back to you know something they shouldn't eat to get that comfort rather than yeah i would say if you are convicted, whether in this conversation or you have been for years and years, you're turning to sugar too often and for the wrong reasons. Matthew chapter 6, God invites us, Jesus invites us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that are concerning Mm -hmm. you today. I'm there with you. I'm going to take care of those too. I'm in the midst of those struggles But if you go to meet those needs first, just like seeking me first will crowd out those struggles, going to those struggles first will crowd out me. We know that God's word says, with Christ, these things are possible. So if you have said, eh, it's not possible, that's a diet. If you say, I lack self-control, I'm saying you don't need self-control, you need God control. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between a diet and fast. Mm -hmm. If diets have not worked for you, 
Uh, you guys were joking at the beginning about, have you made your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> I want to encourage you, don't make a resolution. Make a revolution. Invite God to do something revolutionary, new in your life. During these 40 days, say, I can't do it, God. So you ask me, speak to the person who can't do it, who's tried and failed. You can't do it. Let God do it. And that's the difference between the, the diet that you fail and the fast that is all about mm -hmm. spending time, putting your full attention, leaning your full weight, not on the sugar cane, not on the candy cane, but on the shepherd's staff and on the shepherd. Throw your anxiety, throw your full weight upon me. That is good. Mm, and it good. helps to put your Bible in your cake pan. <laughs> your cake stand. I love it. The cake stand, right? I just see that glass. Bible's everywhere. But this has been so good. Thank you for what the Lord has shown you and mm. putting it into this format of a forty day sugar fast. And yeah. the book that uh, goes along with it. And, and Jean, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for that vulnerability about those college years and what you went through. And Wendy, the same for you yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, for women, that this is a very tender area mm -hmm. it is. Um, because yes. it's so wrapped up in image. And what and the I affirmation like. of the world. Absolutely. I mean, we, yes. get, we Just, get it. Exactly. But there's hope. Like, yeah. There's hope. Yes. Yeah. Well, one, you don't have to rely on that. Our identity is in Christ. Yes. And let me turn to the listener. I think and I hope what you've heard here is that's the ground floor. And we talk about that a lot. We can certainly make uh, your family perform better. You can be a better parent. We'll give you lots of tools to do that. But if you don't know the author of the family, we kind of have, we've missed the mark. And we always want to start right there. About 800 people a day accept Christ through Focus on the Family. Over 300,000 people last year said Focus on the Family was the instrument God used to bring them to Christ. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, we never really, we never give it that much thought. It's kind of a byproduct. We want to be more intentional in this year to say, start there. Start with your relationship with Christ. Yes. And in doing so, uh, so many things that you're talking about, Wendy, will begin to line up. You know, that's the beauty of it. And I want to encourage you to call us, get a hold of us. Let's talk about that first, where you're at with God. And then in addition to that, how you can improve your situation emotionally, spiritually, in every way with Wendy's great book, The 40-Day Sugar Fast. And if you can give a gift of any amount to focus today, I want to send you a copy of The 40-Day Sugar Fast as our way of saying thank you. You can donate and get the book and learn how to join Wendy's annual sugar fast. Uh, just stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A in the word family. Wendy and Jean, thanks so much for being with us. And Jean, thank you so much for sharing your um, stories. And Wendy, you too, just that vulnerability. I so appreciate it. And you're doing the fast, right? I am. I am really excited to be doing this fast. So thank you, Wendy, yeah, to you. I'm excited. I hope others will join us. And Wendy, yes. I'm not so excited. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. This is great. And I'll do the best job I can do. Yeah, my husband Jean. calls it the 14-day sugar fast <laughs> because he makes it about 14 days with me. And then all of a sudden I start finding rappers. <laughs> I got to give him a call. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. I make sure to give them hugs before I leave for work, and I make sure to 
see them or find them, search them out when I get home from work to say hi to them no matter where they are. That way they know that they're loved and thought about. Each month on the date of each child's birthday, we take them out for their special day. And we celebrate, we do something fun, we grab a little treat and just enjoy individual time with each child. My daughters are grown now, but uh, I always try to be available when they contact me to uh, text them regularly or respond quickly when they connect with me. I have two boys. They're very different. For my oldest, he loves one-on-one time, so I make sure to give him that. My youngest loves games and pet names, so we do a lot of that, and we dance a lot at home. Some fun ideas about how to demonstrate love to your child. And today on Focus on the Family, we're going to explore even more ways to build vibrant memories for a strong family identity. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Here's a question for you, John. As parents, do we love our children? Of course Of course we love our kids, and we want them to feel that love. But guess what? Everyday life creeps in there. you got to get breakfast ready, get them off to school, or homeschool them, or whatever you're doing. And there's this to do and that to do, and it's hard throughout the day to remember to love our children and make Mm. sure that they feel loved. Uh, Here at Focus, we want to remind you to do that, and we're going to talk about that today, some very unique ways that you may not have thought about that you can show your child love, and it's simple and doesn't take much time, and they get the impact of it, Mm -hmm. and that's an important thing to remember. You know, so often we downplay the love of God for us, Mm -hmm. and isn't it nice to feel the warmth and that love from our Lord in the ways that he does it for us, reminding us of something or, you know, uh, reintroducing us to a friend that we haven't seen in a while, whatever it might be. Every day as parents, we have that opportunity to make sure our kids know we love them, that God loves them, and that their future is bright. And that is the message that Julie Lavender has for us today. She's a journalist and former homeschooling mom, and she and her husband, David, have four adult children and a son-in-law and a grandson. Julie's also an author, and she's gathered a terrific collection of ideas in a book called 365 Ways to Love Your Child, uh, Turning Little Moments into Lasting Memories. And we'll encourage you to look for your copy at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or uh, call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-IN-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Julia, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. It's good to have you here. And I want to just dive in. Why do our kids translate special memories into feelings of being loved? Well, I think that, you know, when we build these memories as a family, I think it helps a child feel loved and valued. Uh, You know, it creates a bond with common language of shared experiences. You know, when uh, we've, uh, we can think about those things where we've laughed together, we've cried together, we've tried to solve a problem together, um, you know, we've gone on a vacation together. Those shared experiences, that's a language that we only have that nobody else shares that with us. Yeah, it's and so good. I think that just gives us that common language. And I also think it gives us a common identity with um, that family unit and a sense of belonging. Yeah, uh, I love this next observation out of your book, 365 Ways to Love Your Child. You once retired 
as the mom of the house <laughs> with a three-page uh, retirement note, which That's Jean, right. when I told her that, she was laughing. So you got to tell all the moms listening, what right. was your well, retirement um, announcement? Well, and um, that was not one of my finer moments. That was, uh, and <laughs> How I called, old were the kids? That probably well, and I will. It. That's a disclaimer. The youngest was 10. Yeah. Uh, the oldest was already in college. And I had a driver, a 16-year-old, and then my son would have been 13. So they could kind of fend for themselves. And uh, so it was my resignation letter, my, not even a retirement letter. It was a resignation <laughs> letter. And I cleared it with my husband first. Uh, I, you know, um, I, it was the beginning of falling prey to social media and I was doing the comparison game and you know I wasn't living up to other people's standards and oh my goodness everybody else's children seemed perfect and I had a pity party I my children didn't appreciate me they didn't love me they didn't um I didn't think they spent enough time with me I didn't think they communicated with me and I just I guess I'd had a bad week so I told my (laughs) husband I was going to resign. I started writing the letter, and it did turn into three pages because I had a little short list of things that I had done for myself that week. That was the first thing I said, you know, this is all I've done for myself. And then I had a really long list of everything I had done for them, which I I just thought was extensive, and nobody was appreciative. Every mom is listening right now. Exactly. And so, um, you know, it was a really long list. It was getting close to – it was in October – we were making costumes for the uh, for the fall festival at the church. I just felt like I had done so much and nobody was appreciating me. And um, so I told them they were responsible for their meals, for getting to dance, for getting to ballet, getting to guitar, getting to horseback. They would have to work that out amongst themselves, ask somebody else. And I, and I said, and maybe you'll tell that person thank you instead of you don't your mom. So I, you know, uh, and I, I even drove to where my son was living just across town in college and stuck a note in his car. So my children were mortified to begin with, and, um, you know, I took some time for myself. What I really did was go to the library and work on some of my writing projects. But, um, you know, the crazy thing is I learned the lesson before my children. I really only stayed resigned about two and a half days. But um, Was it healthy? Did you feel good about it? Well, when I first did it, I felt really good, and then I felt horrible because <laughs> what happened was um, – I don't know. I got a little nudge very quickly that I realized, oh, my gosh, this is how I treat God. I very quickly realized I didn't take the time to communicate with him as I got really busy and I didn't communicate with him as like I should. I didn't spend as much time with him. I was unappreciative of the amazing gifts he always gives me of my blessings. I didn't appreciate my blessings. I didn't thank him for all of my blessings. And so I very quickly felt like this was me. This, <clears throat> so I feel I felt like I learned the lesson before them. They were shocked. They were stunned. I'd never done anything like that before. So how did they respond though? They in those um two and a half days. Uh, they were very. Uh, did it get kind their of, attention? It did. It really got their attention because I really did. They either had to work it out with their dad. I tried not to let him do too much <laughs> because I wanted them to see it was both of us together. Yeah. And I explained he knew about this, but it really did get their attention they mended their ways they apologized but you know what i sought forgiveness as well and apologized with the lord yeah and that's fair and it's so funny that the lord quickly pointed that out to you in in your heart funny how he does that you know but you have to be receptive to that you know so many christians they'll feel like you know i don't really hear from the lord you just have to open your heart up because well, I think he's I, I sure communicating him quite often. <laughs> Maybe not on things we want to hear. Mm. But uh, l- let me ask you about those special moments. As I mentioned in the opening, I mean, we're so busy. We're getting lunches ready and moms particularly. I mean, dad's out the door. Maybe some work at home moms are, you know, maxed out too. You know, whether they're working outside the home and then working in the home, whatever. 
But the point of that is I'm exhausted to think about those little things. Those little things are going to just wipe me out if I'm trying to think about writing a note to Junior. And, you know, so how do you convince yourself this is important enough that you need to do it? Well, I I think we have to be intentional. I know that's a word that gets overused about being intentional, but I I do think we have to. I mean, we're intentional about taking our vitamins or, you know, getting up and doing devotional or getting our shower and getting dressed. And when we're intentional about those things, if it only takes a few minutes to do some of these small things, then it is so vitally important, I believe. Um, And I, I don't want it to feel like one more burden that the families you know, that the parents have to do because we are so busy, but we can just add some little something. And even if we don't do something every day, you know, even if it's just a couple of times a week, the children are going to look back and think they're going to remember those things. They might not remember, oh, we didn't do it every day, but, you know, they can think back and know that that they did something like that. And I I like that. Let's get into it so people can get their heads around what we're talking about. Uh, You have many suggestions, 365 of them in the book on how to show your child love, but you kind of break them down into categories. One is showing them love outside. So give us a couple of examples of showing your kids love outside. Well, one of the ways that we found to do that, my husband is a biologist slash entomologist by trade. And so he does an amazing job of teaching the kids to appreciate God's creations and nature. And so we love to get outside and look for critters. We try to listen. We try to observe with all five senses. And, you know, whether you can be, whether you're playing outside, if you engage with what the kids are doing and say, oh, listen to that bird. Did you see that squirrel? You know, teach them to enjoy nature and appreciate So you don't nature. need a degree to do that, I guess. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I hope no, not. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but then we would also, uh, so we would do, do things fun while they were playing, but then we would also be real deliberate. Uh, one of my daughter's favorite memories is having stick races every time we found a stream. And every family member would have to get a stick, and it would have to be something, a little short stick, and it would have to be noticeably different so that we could throw it in at one end, run around to the other to see who's stick won the race and my daughter just still thinks that was one of the most fun things see i'd go get a popsicle stick what about you john well that uh, would, that's sleek <laughs> and good has a flat I'd look bottom for something big that has... i think it, it would glide through that water okay. what do you think i think you'd win. carry one around in your pocket <laughs> and then okay so what what's another category um, fireflies we love to uh when the uh, when it's firefly season we love to make sure we we do that we have awakened the kids in the middle of the night uh, early hours if there was a meteor a shower oh yeah and we would lay on the blanket lie on the blankets and watch for the stars to fall um we love to collect rocks and acorns just because and compare size so so many jumping jumping in puddles playing with bubbles you know they can be very <laughs> little simple memories but if we just keep in mind to do those things rather than just be with them but just be a little bit more intentional too to let do me, those things let me ask you why um some parents and you know moms tend to be the ones that lead this challenge and i get that i i would wish more dads would be that creative engaged person and you know hopefully some dads are but why do we struggle doing these things i mean this is what makes life fun i think it does make life fun i I think i know for me because there were many times that i feel like all i could do was get the kids up get them dressed teach them a little and put them back in bed at night. So I think it's just that we're constantly thinking what we need to do next. What's for dinner? Uh, when do we need to go to the grocery store? Um, Does that or, just get overwhelming to us then? Is I, that the it issue? It gets very overwhelming. Mm. I think, so we don't have capacity. I think so. I think we just fill up with that capacity. And I think we need to give ourselves grace with that. But I think maybe we need to 
rethink priorities and, you know, maybe not me. I, I shouldn't have worried quite as much about what was going to be for dinner. I needed to be more fully engaged with the kids mm. when I was playing with them outside. Mm, yeah. Julie, you, you also uh, used to gather calendars for your children. Now, that that's funny. Why would you give well, your children? Well, I love to do that. Yeah. And I either purchased them or there's so many businesses that like to give away free calendars because they have logos and stuff. And I would start way back in, I don't know, maybe October or November. And after the kids would go to bed on about 20 of the days of each month, I would either uh, put a, st- a cute sticker write a note, a love note, just an encouragement. Um, I think you're great. I think you're wonderful. You're a big, good big brother. You're, you know, just, I would just sit. And while my husband and I were watching TV, I would just write, 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 write. So it would yeah. take a, it would take a while, but this was just something I really enjoyed doing. And then that, that was their little New Year's Day present for each of them. They each had their own calendar. They would hang it in their room. And most of my kids uh, marked off the, each day. And it was my thought that if I had had a really busy day and I didn't remember any way I had showed love to my children, or even if I had lost my temper that day or had just had a bad day, then when they marked that day off on the calendar, hopefully there was a note that reminded them, mm. I love you and yeah. I love you big. I think that's great. And we always talk about how important it is for children to have their identity in Christ, right? And showing the love of God, which is what you're doing, uh, even in winsome, fun ways, is so critical to their little hearts that they feel loved. I mean, that's job one as the parent. You did something that I thought was really unique. You know, we did the sticks in the river race, uh, but you would acknowledge these offbeat calendar days, like, you know, National Hot Dog Day or whatever. I thought that was so funny. What would you do? Well, I had the most fun collecting all of those, and I found a a holiday for every day. (laughs) And I I didn't always give them... I pretty much did it uh, at least five or six days a week. But I would write a note. uh, If it was National uh, Cheese Day, (laughs) then I would write a note, and I would say, I think you're great. And of course, I spelled it G-R-A-T-E. I had pulled the grater, my cheese grater, <laughs> out of the pantry and put it on the table with the note. And then I probably, maybe we had grilled cheese sandwiches that day for lunch or something like that. And in our homeschool class, I'm sure we talked about homonyms that day. But um, also for uh, National Aviation Day, I uh, sometimes I gave them a treat. Sometimes it was just a note. So for a- Na- National Aviation Day, I bought those inexpensive planes and I the gave them balsa wood. little balsa wood planes. Yeah. I had a note that said, your love gives me wings and had those planes. And then when their dad came home from work, we would go play as a family outside with those. Um, there was uh, another one, National Chewing Gum Day. I put one pack of gum and a note that said, um, stick with me forever. You silly, the cheesier, the better. And I remember one year, <laughs> my youngest would have only been four. And of course, she couldn't read, but she loved these ideas and she knew what they were all about. And she went running to her siblings because she found it first. She said, it's happy gum day. It's happy gum day. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of times it was... Um, just an affirmation of love. And the thing is, when the kids got older, um, they would roll their eyes with the silliness, but they loved it. They oh, loved yeah. it just as mm-hmm. much. I love it. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio magazine. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. Clubhouse is 
really edifying in every part of it. A resource that supports your values. We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like and we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it. Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Julie, you alluded to something that caught my attention, and that's how to be interested in what your children are interested in. And frankly, as a dad, I think we struggle with that. You know, we're interested in our things, and we want to shape you into what we're interested in, like football or whatever, golf. (laughs) And the kids are going, I don't like that. (laughs) And we have to adjust. Uh, It's not easy sometimes. So what recommendations do you have for parents to be in tune enough with their children's interests, not to blow right by them? I I think we can so easily do that when we're busy. And I think a lot of parents do an amazing job with it. But with having four children, two girls and two boys, they they had varied interests. And so I did try to um, tune into their interest. And uh, so my oldest um, loved horses and loved going horseback riding. And I love them from afar, but I'm just a little bit afraid of them. And so But I conquered that fear, and for a special day, we went on a horseback ride um, and really loved that. My boys loved Legos, so I made a point of either building with them or when they get those magnificent creations that took hours, I would let them tell me about it. And my oldest son especially, I think all my children are creative, but my oldest son especially is so creative, he might give me a story about his creation longer than it took him to build it, (laughs) but I tried to listen to every word because he was so creative. Um, One loved baseball. Oh my, I should have been in the All-Stars with as much baseball as I played because I just would be interested with him and tried to play, and I had to listen to the baseball players' names. My other daughter loved dance so I would be a backstage mom for her recital so and when they got the daughter got older sometimes the only way I could find time with her was to watch a chick flick with her late at night after her siblings had gone to bed you know something you're mentioning there uh, it's one of the things I regret I, I, I feel pretty good about the things that I did as a father very intentional I didn't have a dad so I wanted to be a better dad right and one of the things uh, that I didn't do enough of was individual time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think partly because I had two boys. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do a date night with my girl because I didn't have girls. So whenever I did things, we'd do it all together, right. like the two boys and me, you know, whatever that might be. And I think looking back, I caught on later when they were 16, 17, then I started to do that. But uh, that's one thing I would encourage parents give intentional individual time. I think so too. And, you know, that doesn't have to be a lot because with our four and with your six, John, you know, you can't, you can't (laughs) do that every week. You can't do individual with each child every week. And, And that's not what we would imply at all. But even if it was one per quarter with each child. So yes, my daughter remembers that horseback ride that we went on. It was just a special time for the two of us to be together. So it's not that it has to be we can't add too many more things to a mom or dad's plate. But to take that time does help them see that they are an individual and they yeah. are individually loved. Yeah. That's so true. You mentioned running errands can be a opportunity to do something unique with your kids. Now, most people that are going to the grocery store, picking up dry cleaning, dropping off something, 
don't see it as a fun opportunity. So how do we adjust our thinking? Well, I think that can be kind of hard, but I think if we just can kind of add 10 minutes to the day, uh, of the errand running, then then maybe we add an extra stop. We get ice cream halfway through. You might could, we might could have stopped at the park and played for a little bit, or if we even if you don't have time for that, you know when we get in the car we're thinking okay I got to go here first then I got to go there and there. But if we can kind of put that aside, maybe have our list over here. But in the car, even play some imaginary games. We we just used to love to do all kinds of imaginary things. And it might be, we say, okay, we're, we're playing an imaginary game of hide and seek. You can hide anywhere in your Mima's house. And we're going to ask yes or no questions. And then we're going to guess where you are. Um, so we use our imagination to come up with things like that, just to help that time pass by. I think that's great. I never did anything like that. Did no, you? I, yeah. I think I really the imagination like that uh, of hide and seek. I think that's great. And you know, you need no tools or in, uh, utensils or anything for that. You just use your imagination and words and communicate. You know, another one that was in the book that I really appreciated was playing the ABC game at the grocery store. I wish I would have thought of that years ago especially when when you're the homeschooling teacher then you're hunting any excuse like that you know but (laughs) but then that's fun and that helps them arrange the groceries in the cart or help you look for it on the shelf i was trying to get beyond asparagus and applesauce and then go to the (laughs) broccoli i'm not sure if we got every letter baking soda we found most of them yeah i was gonna say what'd you put for the z i don't know (laughs) Uh, zucchini (laughs) <laughs> that would work. She's good, Jim. She's, she's practiced. Um, serving others uh, together can be a great lesson for your kids. That was another thing that you mentioned. Uh, describe how you, in essence, do the parental setup to make sure that your kids are being exposed to helping others. Well, and I think that's so important uh, to show our kids to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to serve others. And we kind of fell into that. I didn't do that early on, but when my oldest was five years old, we took a trip to California, and that was his first experience seeing a homeless person uh, laying on a bench on a newspaper covered up in a, in a tattered blanket, and he started asking questions. And I tried to be very honest, and I answered all his questions. And I said, you know, he's just having some trouble right now, and I don't think he has anybody to take care of him. And he looked up at me and Oh, it still makes me cry. He said, but doesn't he have a mommy? And, you know, as much as that made me feel like, well, I'm glad I've taught him that as a mommy, I'm going to take care of his needs. It just made me realize I've got to show him we've got to help others who don't have somebody who can take care of them. So even while we were on that trip, we bought coupons at McDonald's and we handed them out to the ones that we would see. We did a few other things there, but then we just tried to do other things. We baked cookies for a a women's shelter. We served in a soup kitchen and these were spread out over the children's uh, lifetime, but uh, worked in a soup kitchen. We rang the charity bell. Uh, We would even do simple things like return the grocery carts to the corral. If there was a wandering cart in the parking lot we would return that to the corral you know and and so I really I think it made an impression because my kids uh they were very involved in church we all were and as middle schoolers high schoolers and when they were in college they wanted to participate in mission trips and absolutely loved it also vacations what a great time for memories our favorite memories are probably around vacation time whether that was camping or whatever do you have some favorite vacation we do have some favorite vacation times we've uh because my husband was military, one thing that we did try to do, and my adult daughter actually mentioned this to me, and she said one of the things that she appreciated that I taught her was to be a tourist wherever you are. Because we moved so often, 
I just felt like, oh, we have to see everything we can see while we're living here. And she said that really taught her to just enjoy her own community wherever she's living, even mm. if she's not moving. So we got to travel a lot, and we saw a lot of California and Washington and Oregon, and we just had a lot of fun with that. But one of the things that we've noticed on our trips, even though it might be an amusement park, it might be this huge mountain we were going to climb or a big ocean we saw, but one of the things when they were younger— we would play a game on the way home. What was your favorite this? What was your favorite that? And a lot of times, it was the smallest moment. We Speaking yeah. of those expensive uh, um, uh, park trips, we had been to one of those. I don't remember which one it was. And on the way back, I said, oh, what was your favorite part? Well, my son, this oldest creative one, he said... His favorite part was jumping on the beds in the hotel. Now, we had just spent... <laughs> we our, spent $500. That's exactly right. And the funny thing was, we let them jump on the bed at home. That wasn't even the issue. It was that they had two beds. They could jump from one to the other. Over the gap. Over the gap. Well, my husband and I got involved. He stood on one side. I stood on the other to make sure nobody got hurt. We put the pillows in between so they wouldn't get hurt. And we said, this is a moat. Watch out for the crocodiles. Be sure not to get hurt. And we let them do it. We let them play. We, we knew we were kind of burning uh time at the park but you know what that was fun for them and they loved it yeah and that was his favorite memory it's mm-hmm. so true um i want to speak to the mom and dad that maybe didn't really get this right when the kids were younger and you know busy is busy and they're hearing this going ah we should have done some of this it would have lightened the load and now the kids are teenagers or you know maybe late teenage 18 19 what can they do to kind of recapture some of that? Would you encourage them to get a little silly and do some fun things? I I think it's still worth the effort. I think sometimes they may roll their eyes. I think sometimes they're going maybe even be embarrassed. But you know what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. And it means so much to them. My husband and I, since we've been here, uh, we came a couple of days ago, we tried to take some selfies. I bombed horribly and I but I posted those crazy uh, selfies and my daughter the she's the 22 year old her her only comment was I thought I taught you better than that <laughs> so you know she wasn't embarrassed by that post right. she owned it she was That's like funny. hey I tried to help you and you're still failing but um you know what they're going to roll their eyes they're going to be embarrassed but you know what they're going to be anyway, yeah. somewhat, as a teenager. So yeah. I think if we throw those things in there, and yes, it may look different how we show our love to that age, but I think it still can be recaptured. Again, I think we need to give ourselves grace if we were too busy, if we just didn't think about it or whatever, but there, it, there's never, it's never too late to get started. Uh, this has been so good. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to write these 365 ways to show your kids that you love them. And I would encourage folks to get a copy. You can do that here at Focus on the Family because we want you to have that kind of family that is lighthearted and loving. Um, You know, at the end of the time of your parenting, when the kids are 18 or 19, uh, this may be one of the best things you can teach them is how to embrace life with all of its troubles and to do it with a smile. And I think God encourages us to do that. So call us, uh, get a hold of us, get your copy of 365 Ways to Love Your Child. If you can make a gift of any amount to join the ministry here at Focus, uh, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us. You can call us. Our number's 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details. Julie, thanks again for being with us. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It has been a delight. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family. 
We'll invite you back next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.